1: Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Menega. In this episode, I talk with Lenny Duncan. Lenny is a writer, podcaster, and PhD student, and the author of United States of Grace, a memoir of homelessness, addiction, incarceration, and hope. Also musically featured throughout this episode is Stavesaker. Stavesaker is a rock band from California you can get connected with Lenny and Stavesaker and their work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of a people's theology, it would bring me no greater joy than if you gave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, if you feel so inclined, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash There are multiple tiers with wonderful rewards, including papers I write to even a book club. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. Today I have Lenny Duncan with me, and Lenny, you are a PhD student, There's, you're an author, you do so many things in the world, but who is Lenny Duncan to Lenny Duncan? Oh wow,
0: that's great, thank you. Thank God I didn't have to sit through like one of those awful fucking bios I wrote for, oh, like, no, when, no. on my first I'm book I'm going to let you
1: disclose what you want to disclose.
0: Oh man, thank you. So uh, my name is uh, Lenny Duncan. My pronouns are he, they, John, I say. But it's really he, they. I just say John because I'm from Philly. So I feel like that's <laughs> just like a whole other um queer and gender like category is like Philly queer. It's mm-hmm. very, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, like they exist on, on their own paradigm. Yeah, absolutely. It's like meet me on Market Street. I'll make out with you on the L. And uh, <laughs> you uh do you know what I mean? Like it's like it's like wild vibes. I went to seminary, uh, right after the, um, Charleston massacre. And so I, mm. I call myself a post Charleston preacher. Um, that's the only paradigm I've ever known, um, as a leader in the so-called church, I am ordained in the evangelical Lutheran church in America, but due to uh, reasons of principle I have resigned my call and can no longer, um, continue in the endeavor of what people are masquerading as the Nazarene's teachings. And, and in particular, uh, you know, and I'm not going to just bag on the ELCA. I, I think the ELCA is actually one of the better examples of like the flotsam that floats to the sea of like spirituality in this country right now. But uh, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so went to seminary, currently a Ph.D. student at Graduate Theological Union, whose studies are focused on the history of black esoterica or black. Or, or Yeah. in, in America. You know, what people in the nineteen hundreds would have called spiritualism or mediumism <laughs> or occultism yeah. or any of that stuff, but you know, uh the, the arts, the practitioners, the histories and its importance to American culture, and in particular, uh, the story of uh well you know, I don't want to give up too much of my dissertation like week one. Right. So, right. Okay, I'll well, keep that to
1: myself. Either way, I'm excited for it. With that said, you recently released an incredible book called United States of Grace, and it really is a memoir of your life. Like, And I can't imagine like a better story for you to tell. I mean, it's just an incredible story. And so, yeah, this book was very deeply personal and I can imagine it brought up a lot of things within yourself that you might not have even been aware of before. What did you learn about yourself as you wrote this very poignant and personal memoir?
0: Well, you know, I, I think anyone who's a real artist knows that the art's not theirs.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. So
0: what I mean by that is that like um, at my best, I'm a, I'm a channel for something that I know is way bigger than me. Right. Mm. And so when I'm at my best, I know that and I'm operating under those auspices and I'm writing. And then like the next level after that is that I know that I'm only able to like, well, how I explain it is like, dear church was like my first sentence I ever said out loud, Mm -hmm. my first public sentence. As a writer, it's like when a child, like the first time your kid walks down the steps and anyone who's been a parent knows it's like, in my story, I'm not there It's one of the things I miss and I talk about, but, you know, like my mom described it as like when I walked down the steps one day, as I had 25 words and instead of saying sandwich, I walked down as like can I have a bologna and cheese. And for some reason we make this leap cognitively um, and, and I would argue spiritually and, and in the quest for sentience from 20 words to 250. And Dear Church to United States of Grace, um, which is my second book, the one we're talking about, that's that's what it's like. So Dear Church is like my first public uh, sentence, and mm. United States of Grace is my first public thought. And I started writing it. Uh, I, I sat down to write it uh, faithfully um, February 1st, 2020. And, um, you know, uh, I had done some of the outlines for it. This was the original book I had pitched to Broadleaf, and they said, hey... Um, you know, shout out to Lisa Kloskin, my editor, um, Out, uh, you know, um, probably, you know, um, one of the greatest creative um, partnerships I've ever had. Right. And, you know, and and she kind of called me out my first book I pitched and she said, you know, you can't tell people a story until you tell them a thing. Right. And and so, dear church, she's like, you got to tell them a thing. Um, and so, like, I try to tell people about a thing I was seeing. Um, I'm working on something now for them that kind of reorients a lot of those early premises you know and the deal was if that did well then i could tell the story i wanted to tell and so by the time united states of grace had come around you know um just to contextualize it for your listeners i had just you know i'd been ordained about a year and a half by the time it's time for me to write it I, mm-hmm. I i've been ordained about two and a half years i did a co-op seminary program out of um the lutheran theological seminary at philadelphia forever that meant that I had to do 30 hours a week in a congregation while doing six courses a semester. So, so, you know, so by the time I get to my, you know, I move out to Washington, it's February of 2020. I've written the early chapters of United States of grace, but it's really time to dig in. My now ex-wife is still living in New York and going to come out in a couple months. And I've got the place to myself to finish this book. And You know, I'm in the Pacific Northwest for the first time in like 20 years and it's about to go dark. You know what I mean? If you've Mm -hmm. ever lived out here, it's Mm -hmm. about, you know, it gets dark at three o'clock and the sun comes up at seven and like, hold on to your seat. Right. And pre pre COVID people didn't come out till nine. Like it's like a weird city that way. And that's what's happening. So I'm on this new call. I'm feeling like the world's had its ass kicked for a long time. And I'm left with this challenge of trying to write a book about how, why there is still hope in the, on, in, in the idea of the republic and the principles of the republic. And because I, you know, I'm from my perspective, I'm assuming it's and I didn't think certainly I certainly did. Look, I don't want anyone to think listening. Like, I certainly saw January 6, 2021 coming like 100 percent. No. I thought I, I thought that the system was certainly under more stress than it had ever historically been in its right. young life. You know, I, I just assumed that something was going to happen if right. not this administration. And by this administration, I assumed eight years of Trump because, you know, by this point, no one had, you know, it's the principle of how you cook a frog. You know, you cook frogs, uh, uh, Mason. You I grew up in
1: the Midwest. We weren't cooking frogs.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, well, you can't. You, You can't throw it. You can't throw it in boiling water. They jump out like you can't. They're hard. And they even sense the heat. What you got to do is you put them in cool water and you feed them and you make it hella comfy for them. And then you slowly turn up the heat over Mm. a course of like 20 minutes and they'll just sit there happy as fucking happy as frogs. And uh, till you eat their ass. You know, we're still experiencing that COVID really kind of hypercharged um what i expected to be a a 10 year rollout cuz i really expected one of trump's sons or someone from his administration to really be like you know someone a little bit smarter that we don't see coming you know to to really be the one to either take the system to its um you know what i believe the republic's um well the american democracy that we have now and not the republic its ultimate goal is is fascism packaged in a way that's palatable to the people right mm-hmm. uh, it's always the military industrial complex's goal but but you know at the end of the day I'm trying to write this book about why there's still hope in America, like why, why we should believe in this idea of America. And I know I can't do it by coming at it the way most people do. So I actually start by talking about by changing the idea of what the republic is.
1: Can you talk a little bit about your story? The, the whole book, you're just like you're going through the entire journey. Yeah. And it's incredible. You know, if like you got stuck in an elevator with somebody and they asked you about your book, what would be the story that you would give them? Like as brief of a synopsis as possible. Can you talk a little bit about some of those highlights or important pieces to your story? Um, just so people can kind of get a sense of like what your story is um, before we kind of go on and talk a little bit about what you think about grace and, and what you think about America, etc.
0: Yeah. 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 No, a hundred percent. United States of grace is where I, I tell the story of you, but I do it in a sneaky way. I present it as the story of me. (laughs) And what I do is I take the seven most traumatic things like five, six or seven most traumatic things that ever happened to me being houseless from basically like, you know, starting, like trying to be houseless, like running away from an abusive home, you know, mostly from my father, you know, at 11 years old, I'm houseless by 13. I'm doing sex work uh, semi-regularly by 16, 17. I start having these encounters with the criminal justice system, you know, in and out of the juvenile system, which is actually a much more Byzantine nightmare than than, than what we know as the prison industrial complex, Mm -hmm. commonly in the so-called woke progressive lexicon, right? You want an existential nightmare, spend 10 minutes studying the juvenile system to this day, you know? And really, you know, if you're looking at it from like, just, just a classic historical perspective, you know. It's the story of a black queer kid who was criminalized for being disabled, mm. and you know, because you know, I'm neurodiverse, but I go through my story. And what I do, you know, and I talk about a near lynching that almost happened. I talk about the first times, you know, I'm doing sex work and like I'm just so beat up, uh, Angel swoops in and saves me, right? You know, mm. you know, in that moment, like Jesus Christ is this black trans woman, right? And and the tenderness in which she she cares for me. And, and, and what I try to do is, because there's so many books like this in the church, and it's part of the thought leader industrial complex, is that um, it's not a book about how great I am. And Actually, it makes me look like an asshole most of the time. It's a book about how great everyone else is, because what happens is these incredible peoples just show up at these points in mm-hmm. our life if we would but mm-hmm. pay attention. And, and that is who we are at our core. And so the, the elevator pitches is United States of Grace is where I take the seven worst things that ever happened to me and use them to tell the story about how if we lower our disposition to each other just a little bit, we might see the image of God in one another and, mm-hmm. and, and realize that the Republic isn't anything but the people in moments like this, that this is the Republic where we, we, where we
1: get a little bit closer to one another. There are a few things in the book that really stood out to me, one of which is you hold complexity and things that seem seemingly contradictory to one another in tension. And I love how you talk about it in your stories throughout your book. How is holding complexity and things that seem contradictory an act of grace?
0: You know, um, a lot of it is about sacred storytelling. I mean, let's just take the Judeo-Christian Bible as it's handed to people today, right? There are villains. There are heroes. Some of the heroes become villains. Some of the villains become heroes. There are lovers. There are sorcerers. There are witches. There are Mm. people, not one person in a straight marriage, though. But there's a lot going on, right? Mm -hmm. Your your life is the same way and just as sacred and just as rich. There Mm. are prophets. Uh, God is walking around Divinity is walking around the child of God is walking around there is a Moses in your life there is an Elijah jumping from body to body giving you with witness and wisdom these things are these elements right from that particular story if we were to use it as an example these sort of powerful elements are everywhere in the world and you know that's the power of sacred storytelling right Is because you have in someone's story, I'm their fucking hero. And in another story, I am a wicked villain mm. who has done nothing, done nothing but bring pain and sorrow to them. And it doesn't matter if I apologize. It doesn't matter if I clean it up. Right. Because at the end of the day, what I've done is what I've done. And these are the tracks or the trails we, we, we cut through people's lives. But I think the artist is. The artist's job is to capture all of it, not the mm. pieces that I'm comfortable with. And so at the end of the day, I was really hoping to write a book that sort of left everyone a little with a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth at the end where they're like, you know, I wouldn't say a bad taste. Let me reframe that. I wanted everyone who picked it up to be a little disturbed by it mm. and disturbed by the notion of, of of what is this country? I sell it as a book. You know, I mean, these books are real common, right? Like like uh, semi like known or sort of known black preacher slash writer, you know, write, say uh, w- what they're calling epistopatory memoirs, which is the style of writing that's really been inaugurated. Well, recognized, really. I mean, one could make an argument for Toni Morrison, certainly and many other writers way before. Mm-hmm. But in the modern lexicon, uh, this epicipatory memoir style, as the New York Times put it, is uh, sort of inaugurated by Ta Coates, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and so people have sort of expected, you know, they, they expect one thing. And, and what I really want to do was fuck with a genre that people don't even know exists, you know? And just really, you know, and, and, and you, you go in for this story, like, I really want to connect with the story about Black culture. And really, it's about like me everywhere else as a person who is black, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And then uh, sharing what I think about black culture. And it's also a book written for black people. And that's why it's not as popular as Dear Church. Just to keep it real, Dear Church sells better because it's written to white people. Yeah. And United States of Grace makes no fucking qualms about if you don't understand this in the preface, you know, the premise is I'm hoping this book will 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 bring us a little bit closer between the chasm, you know, mm-hmm. between us. But I make no qualms that it's written in, in, in a way it's written
1: for you. Like, I don't I don't pretend that it's a book written for you. You talk about America, obviously, throughout your entire story. What is America to you? I mean, honestly,
0: I think it's, it's exactly like we were just talking about. It is our indigenous siblings being slaughtered. It is the story of little black girls who have to be escorted to school by National Guard troops. It is the story. Of you know, churches being called out and told that they are bereft of hope and are whitewashed tombs while written on toilet paper, it is the story of the enslavement of an entire continent, culture and people um, on two continents, you know as a result of this need for capitalism and growth. And it is the story of Mother Moses leading slaves to freedom. It's, it's all of these things. I mean, at the end of the day, it's what the Republic is, is the people. Mm. And the people are fucking amazing. The people in mm. this story are amazing. Even the fucking villains. We've got some of the best villains in America. I think the world's ever produced. Yeah. I mean, we just we just crank them out. I mean, we just really do. It's like it's like, come on, the next guy can't be more heinous than that guy. And like, you know, America's like, oh, hold my fucking beer. Right. And so, you know, there's just so much drama and there's so much beauty. But at the end of the day, when this empire that's been masquerading as the republic falls apart, all we're going to have is community and the people. And we need to learn to take care of each other. We need Mm -hmm. to learn to readjust what we think victory is. You know, um, I was just talking to a friend about this right before I hopped on. I'm not a friend. I'm sorry. We like are talking about my anchor partner, Sarah Rosenau. So, you know, we're we're just talking about this. Hey, there's so many people who think victory is like fucking winning white men, like winning what white men have mm. I don't fucking want that. I don't want that. That's not victory to me. I don't want to be rich. I don't want a fucking 401k. I don't want a fucking big house. No, I want people to get their land back. I want folks to have reparations. I want Mm. folks to have autonomy. And I want a fucking revisioning of what our communities are like, not on a fucking national federal level, but fucking on a community person to person, case by case, fucking basis, the way he civilization has rolled out for fucking centuries, Mm -hmm. if not millennia. It's infuriating to me that that the notion Of what America is, is the same way in a lot of ways, what the notion of Christ could be if people or the Nazarene could be if people let it, it's a Mm. fucking finger pointing to a much greater thing. And none of us uh, seem to want to take up the call of it. So in a lot Mm. of ways, that's what the Republic is to me, right? Yeah, they fucking shot and they epically fucking failed. But here we are, the, the descendants of their terrible fucking decisions. And what do we do with that? And that conversation, that energy around it, that is the republic. That is revolution. That's Mm. what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. And that's how we start to get together. So many people want to start organizations, start new fucking things, go fucking march. No one wants to do like sacred relationship building first. got to build a community you actually want to fight for, right? And it has to happen more than in the wake of trauma. Of hearing the voice of God scream for his mama after being choked out for over nine minutes in front of the entire nation while we were locked in our homes and we couldn't fucking ignore it for once. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's all happening while I'm writing the book at the same time. And I'm writing about it as I'm experiencing it, because at this point, the books due in fucking September. and, And, you know, it's May 25th, 2020, and I'm marching and I'm trying to synthesize. This existential crisis that black people are experiencing, because I know that black people are the canary in the coal mine for 400 years in this republic and what they do to us in the fucking daylight they'll do to you in the dark. So I'm trying to sound the alarm, but not in the sense of like, let's fucking go out to the bastions like those jackasses did on January 6th and try and take over the thing for ourselves. No, just prepare that there's going to be a lot more like that. And what is the idea of the republic? Why did, for the first time in human history, a sitting general cede fucking power to a civilian government? It had never happened in world history, and we've made damn sure it's never happened again.
1: It reminds me a lot of this concept from a, uh, I think he's a religious studies scholar. His name is A'shaun Crowley. I don't know if you know A'shaun all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But he's got this concept in one of his books called Black Pentecostal Breath, where he talks about the otherwise- world or the otherwise possibilities. Uh, and, and it really reminds me of you talking about the sacred relationship building of the kind of world that we want to see. And I don't know if I have much more to say beyond that, but it, it just reminds me a lot of what he talks about in, in that book. I don't know if you've read it or anything, but.
0: No, yeah. no I know I've, I've read bits and pieces of it because, you know, I've had this conversation with other folks like, yo, if you check dude's Check that shit out, and I'm like, yeah, bits and pieces, right? But yeah, it's the same thing, right? I mean, what is it like if we imagine the best of all possible worlds? I'm working on like a sci-fi story right now, like as like a thought experiment. I might sell. It's like a, a, a world where like history just didn't go the way it went here but like not in like the cheesy sci-fi sense like what are the long-term cultural ramifications 500 years down the road for like Mm -hmm. certain you know events being diverted right who are we in the best of all possible worlds i i think what most people outside the empire are often surprised by is how many of us are fucking trying to fight it with everything we got and that looks different for us right um, it looks very privileged. It looks like a fucking gilded cage. And for a lot of people around the world, it's hard for them to like really grasp how much some of us are putting on the line. Right. In the sense of like, you know, this is, this country is, has a, a, a mechanic to it where like, you can resist it a few ways, but most of them are going to either end have you end up in therapy in prison or, you know what I mean? Like, like, there's very few ways to effectively fucking defeat uh, this empire from the inside. I think part of that for me, because I'm, I'm neurodiverse and I have trouble communicating with people one-on-one sometimes, um, and so I really trust them, is like this idea of capturing sacred storytelling. Um, because I get to watch people um, have these sort of relationships that are beyond me to comprehend in the moment, right? I'm very capable of capturing them and painting them for you. Um, but I struggle in the moment to, to experience them as fully as other people do. And so, um, a lot of my writing is like, you know, I build relationships sort of in the dark two years before you get a chance to meet me. And then I send it out there. Um, and I do a lot of that by, by, I, I, I love humanity. I, I, I really think that at our best, um, We could be so much, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so the art of sacred relationship building, the art of sacred storytelling is sort of building this kingdom of God, a world where everything went the best possible way. Like, imagine what, what that world could be like.
1: What I love so much about the abolition world is it's not just simply about abolishing prisons and abolishing the police. It's about actually re understanding, reimagining what our relationships with one another can look like. It's about a reimagination of the entire world, not just simply about prisons or the police. And that's why I, I love that, that world so much uh, of abolition.
0: Well, I mean, and we have to imagine what a future is going to look like because no one's imagining it for us. And we have to, like, be OK with the idea of getting it wrong a few times and saying some fucking regrettable things, and getting in the fights with others and the fucking. Do you, know, you remember the, uh, the uh, arena of vigorous debate they used to fucking tell us about? You know, I mean, shit, I remember hearing that all time in eighth grade. Right. Anytime. Like you remember, that was like a thing right after the fucking Unabomber. What happened to vigorous debate? I feel like people are getting extreme, right? We were talking about it then, right? But they didn't tell you that the Unabomber was a result of their own fucking government program, MK Ultra, and they fucking took some kid who just got a fucking scholarship and told him the only way he can go continue to go to his fucking Ivy League school was to eat LSD and let people fuck with him at night. So I mean, you know, you let the CIA probe him and then 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, shit, you know. It's the problem of allowing the so-called victors. Right. To tell history. Right. That old saying history is told by the winners. If we adjust what we think victory is, if we're not trying to get the same victory as white men, if we're not trying to win the fucking presidency and the goddamn Senate and every other inept and broken fucking institution. And we're just focusing on how do I feed my neighbor? How do I take care of public safety around me? How do I take care of the spiritual care of others? And how do I get to know these people and capture their stories? Because I know no one else will. The only way you can do that is through relationship and, and in community in a lot of ways. Um, I'm just lucky enough that people think I'm a fucking weirdo and they let me just kind of hang back and observe. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Because so much of this book is about how you've experienced grace in America, how have you recently experienced grace in America? The the recent thing has been, um, you know, I got this podcast, uh, uh, Blackberry Jams,
0: and um, this sort of happened. uh, With Ben and and Jerry's, uh, right? Yeah, with Ben and Jerry's. It's the wildest story. So for one thing, they pay us in fucking ice cream. So a lot of people think I left the church. Because like I'm working for Ben and Jerry's. Like literally they pay me in fucking ice cream and I'm in the middle of a divorce. Let me tell you how fucking broke I am. <laughs> but in the middle of the uprisings this time last year, actually right around November, December, me and uh, you know, about a year earlier um, I think it was probably Terrence Crutcher. I think it was Terrence Crutcher. I just came back from the Terrence Crutcher March and like every other cis ish black man. I um like felt kind of like I don't know what I felt but I reached out to a to a black woman organizer I knew Leslie back and just like hey how you doing like not on some like hey make me feel better shit but like like didn't talk about what I had just done it was right around that same time but just like yo what up da, 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 da. and about 2 days later I posted about Fish I was going to a show and like she fucking hit me back I was like yo I really love Fish which is like a big thing in the fucking black community that's like disclosing like that's like <laughs> I don't know how I explain that, but it's like, hey, <laughs> if you say I like fish to the wrong black person, and they're like, what? Then you gotta explain. <laughs> and, and man, do you look like a fucking lame? You know, and you say it to the right one, and it's probably a really cool fucking friendship. And so um, you know, she's she's like, I really like fish too. Da, 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 da. And like, I think I even posted like something like I think I, I can't, i have to look back on the original Facebook post. I was just basically like, yo, I love fish blackness is police eat my fucking dick i I can like what i like or like it was like some real reckless facebook shit right you know i mean like ordained like ordained reckless facebook talk (laughs) like fucking reckless and she hits me up she's like i like fish and we were like and we kept talking about fish and shows for like a year after that and then right around last summer i was like yo we should just start tagging the band until they give us a fucking podcast we were like, we were like, fuck that. Like, we don't know why. I, I don't know who came up with it. Right. But somebody probably uses some late night plant medicine and DM the other one. And so, you know, and I say it was her anyway. So <laughs>
1: that's like, you, that's what you'd like to believe, though. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, you know,
0: she hits, you know, when we're talking about this idea and um, so we start tweeting about it and we start tweeting about it, you know. Fish never does anything because like big bands are like, um, we're not gonna pay for you to bring a problem to our doorstep, <laughs> right? Like, cause we're like, we should do a podcast about the black fan experience at Fish. It's really different. That was like my like super like hopeful one. I was like, we have a different experience to give. And Leslie was like, Yeah, and sometimes that experience is, is fucked up. And I was like, Oh, yeah, well, that's true too. But and she was like, No. <laughs> And we sort of, like, built a, a, a whole plot line built off that, right? And so we, mm-hmm. we tell the story. Um, well, anyway, we're, we're talking about this bullshit on Twitter, and the fucking CMO of Ben and Jerry's fucking DMs Leslie. Apparently, he follows her. Damn. And, and look, and that's not because, like, you know, Leslie's no fucking slouch. Let me tell you about Leslie Mack, digital strategist, one of the main organizers or digital strategists over at the front line. A lot of her comrades who are, you know, there at the very beginning of Ferguson Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. uh, sat as a, you know, up until recently sat as a board member for the entire Unitarian Universalist, um, the board for UU and, you know, as a founding member of Black Lives UU. um, Mm -hmm. Shout out to Lena Garner and some of the other fam out there, Reverend McCow and other folks. But this is no slouch, right? She started the safety pin box. If you remember when all the white people were in safety pins and she was like, here, buy this box. And then they opened the box and, you know, it wasn't like cutesy. It was like, here's some shit you can do. Just white supremacy, white lady. You know, <laughs> like she had been in the in the movement in these really unique ways, in ways that were strategic, um, that were uh, that that were entrepreneurial, Right. Because like and they weren't like, yo, I'm just going to put out my fucking cash app every three weeks. Like right. Entrepreneurial. Like they were like entrepreneurial and and self-sustaining and inter- a very interesting person. So, of course, the CMO, a marketing person's following someone like that. And so he's following Leslie, probably stealing game from her. Yo, shout out to you, Jay. And uh, and um, Jay Curley. He's the man over at Ben and Jerry's. So he reaches out to her. And she sends me this fucking screenshot of the DM and I couldn't believe it. And this is like November, December, 2020. I mean, I just got my ass kicked. I'm about a month away from walking out my marriage. My PTSD is through the fucking roof. Um, I'm trying to get diagnosed with ADHD Um, after the Kevin Peterson uh, killing by the Clark County Sheriff's Department, which was like the second or third thing I've been involved in, or like maybe the first one. After the yeah, first one after everything at the Justice Center and getting kettled a few times and all that bullshit. Oh, yeah. And the federal agents kidnapping people, Mm -hmm. you know, and all the shit that had happened here. Then the Kevin Peterson shooting. Then I had a big fucking problem with one of my mentors and that was real ugly and me and my partner in a bad place. And so this fucking podcast probably saved my life. Wow just to keep it real, if you like it at that time. And I believe that there are, I always say something saved my life when you hear my story, but that's because I believe your life is saved over and over again at different periods by different mm-hmm. things. Angels show up and the divine steps in and it's like, oh, you're not going to make it without this. And that's sort of like, you know, this podcast is a big story of that. Um, and I didn't know it at the time. At the time, it just seemed like another project I had to write copy for that no one was going to buy. You know what I mean? But, you know, I did it. And now it's become this great thing. So it's sponsored by Ben and Jerry's. We're on PRX, which is like Public Radio Exchange. You know, Public Radio, which is you know uh, they fucking invented the word podcast. So that they're not bad. It's weird to like sort of end up in this weird. I'm in this weird place. Um, I, I left the church. I'm no longer a pastor. I'm sort of an executive producer for this pretty decent podcast that's been in the top 200 of Apple Music since it launched, um, typically above 50. But like, it's not the shit I've been talking about for years. It's like
1: talking about the intersection of black liberation work and the jam dancing. That is so interesting. Uh, second to last question, how is your story inspiring and liberating? I mean, maybe that's painfully obvious, but how is it inspiring and liberating?
0: I would argue that mine isn't. I'm a, I, I'm a fluke of, of, of seconds and inches, dancing between the raindrops. There's lots of names for it. Uh, luck. Luck. When I'm doing the right thing, I, I, I nothing seems to be able to touch me, and part of that is is what I've learned from you. And so, why it's an inspiring story is because it's really a story about you. Mm. It's about how incredible you are. Because at my worst times, when I was I almost died from a lynching in Georgia, when. The sexual assaults i experienced in prison like these these things right like it's not about what happened to me it's about how all of you came forward and and picked me up at those times Mm. and loved me and so you're it's inspiring because you're inspiring
1: and it's just told through the lens of my life Mm. love that last question lenny how can listeners get connected to you and your work i'm lenny a duncan everywhere and on all the socials, you can just Lenny a Duncan
0: the shit out of that and find me at that John. And uh, also um, my new PhD work, which focuses on EFA and black esoterica. And um, what I really think is the, the, what the future looks like the world beyond the church mm-hmm. um, and all of us becoming practitioners. You can find out about that at the cliff at
1: That's the cliff at dawn.com. I will definitely check that out. That Sounds so fascinating well thank you so much for chatting a little bit more about united United States of grace money I think it's an incredible book uh, again you're a brilliant storyteller a brilliant writer and I just love your honesty and transparency that you write with and uh, yeah I, the premise of the book of kind of turning the story on on the reader and, and how you know people in your life have been the ones that have shown you grace it's just really great uh i I just loved it it was absolutely incredible and thank you again for sharing a little bit more about it well
0: thank you so much for having me on